Today we are in John chapter 6, and it's a really, really cool study. Let's open our Bibles there, and as we do, I pray we'd open our hearts really to what we're basically seeing is overwhelming evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He really is the Savior of the world. And so you guys have placed your faith in Him, and because of that, you know, we have this life and that more abundantly. And so when we go through our study today, we're only going to cover verses 1 through 40. And first, we're going to look at the feeding of the flock. Uh, There's 5,000. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 15. And really, it's the miracle on the land. And then in verses 16 through 21, we'll see Jesus walking on water. And we're going to see it's the miracle on the lake. And then we'll close the service in verses 22 through 40. We're going to see Jesus preaching to the people and it's the miracle of life. And so here's something to think about. You know, we have this flesh. We have this desire in our life, you know, to, um, I don't know, consume or whatever. We're looking for satisfaction. Uh, we're going to see that really only Jesus can do that. You know, the bread that this world has to offer, it will never satisfy. But Jesus will provide. And so we're going to see that in the first section. The second section has to do with the storms of life. And so the apostles are going to be out there on the lake and they're going to be struggling and straining at rowing and it seems like the devil's going to make them drown. You know, and you go through, we go through, we're trying to be satisfied and we're, we are struggling. You know, people go through storms even when they're doing the right thing. You know, you're there um, we're going to see Jesus comes to them and rescues them and he's going to rescue you Uh, and then we see not only the satisfaction issue or the storm issue but then there's the sin issue and don't you hate it how we fail and how we sin and it's a drag you know but thank God that we have Jesus who washes away all of our sins And so it's all about Jesus. It really is, and it should be that way. You guys know that as a church, it's not about the church, it's not about the leadership, it's not about the pastor, it's about Jesus. And we're going to find that as we have this faith in him, then we will be blessed. And that's what we want for your life. We're going to see here something interesting, the miracle on the, the land of feeding the flock of 5,000 men plus women and children. Did you guys know that it's the only miracle in the Gospel of John, other than the resurrection, that is found in all the other Gospels? It's the only one. And so that tells me that there is some significance to this miracle. And so let's listen up. In verse 1, it says, After these things... And that's probably about six months after chapter 5. After these things, uh, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Any of you guys here gone to Israel? I'm just curious. Who's gone to Israel? Some of you guys have. And you remember the Sea of Galilee. And so for the rest of you, uh, if the Lord tarries, it's beautiful, man. When you go to Israel, there were three things that made me cry. One was the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, The other one was... No, not the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, The Sea of Galilee was one of them. And there's one other. I can't think of it right now. What's that? 
No, no, it's okay. I mean, it's all good. Don't get me wrong, man. But man, when I saw the, the Lake of Galilee, when I saw the Sea of Galilee, I just, man, I was blown away how beautiful it is. 13 miles wide, six miles, uh, uh, 13 miles long, six miles wide, 700 feet below sea level. It's the lowest uh, lake in the whole world uh, as far as fresh water goes. It's about the size of Washington, D.C., it's also called the Sea of Tiberias in the Old Testament. It's called the Lake or Sea of Kinnereth. And so it's just a, an awesome sea. We, we, see, we see the Lord crossing it numerous times, right? And so here we see the Lord crossing the sea, but then we see others uh, following him. Again, Jesus goes over this sea, and a great multitude followed him because they, they saw the signs. You know, what we find when you really look at the chronology is Jesus was trying to get away from everyone else with his disciples because John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And so he wanted to kind of find some quiet time, but um, obviously that's not easy for Jesus because the people follow him there. So what would you do if you're trying to get alone? Someone close to you just died. And this is, again, Jesus' cousin. It was his forerunner. I mean, crazy. It was so wrong, the way that John the Baptist died. And so he wants to get away. It's somewhere near Bethsaida, the Gospel of Luke tells us. But as he's there, the, the crowd, they throng him, they follow him. And, um, and Jesus is so cool. Uh, look what happens in verse 4. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, and then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to him, testing him, for he himself knew what he would do. And so John, as he's writing, he mentions in passing the Passover. Not really sure why he does. Um, maybe it was because this would explain the multitudes of people, the extraordinary numbers, because we know that they were probably traveling north to south. And so you guys should remember, remember when Jesus went uh, to the feast in Jerusalem, the whole family went. And so we're talking about more than likely a lot of people. That's probably why John mentions it. Also, it gives us the calendar. It gives us the fact that Jesus' ministry was at least three years or three and a half years because the Passover is mentioned three times by John. In John chapter 2, John chapter 6, and again in John chapter 11 and forward. And so, you know, his public ministry probably lasted along those, uh, that length of time. Uh, John mentions it here in passing, but, but really he just kind of, you know, you know gla- glosses over it. And then he just, you know, tells us that Jesus lifts up his eyes and he sees this whole large crowd heading in his direction. And even though he's trying to get away, you know, he's not frustrated by the interruption of the people because that's what, that's what his life was all about. He already knows what he's going to do. As a matter of fact, if you read Mark six thirty four, it says that when he saw the people, he had compassion on them. They were like sheep having no shepherd. That's a bad thing when sheep don't have a shepherd. So he taught them many things, it says in Mark chapter 6. And then in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, it said he had compassion on them and so he healed them. And so again, they're trying to get away. He's there with his disciples. All the people come. And you know what? The Lord's this man, his heart just is moved towards the people. And he begins to teach them. He begins to heal them. And when you read the synoptic gospels, basically, he's just doing it all day 
until eventually it gets late. And so the 12 actually suggest to Jesus that he send the crowds away so they could buy food for themselves because they had no food and they had not yet eaten. And so, again, you know, go back to what Jesus asked Philip in verse 5, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, some believe uh, Philip was from that area, from Bethsaida, so he would know where the closest Panera is, right? And so um, he asked Philip, but he said to test him, for he himself knew, Jesus knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them would even get a little. So they're, they're faced kind of with a, an impossible situation, the dilemma. Philip was tested, just like we're going to get tested in life, you guys. How will we see the situation? Will we look at this challenge with only human lenses, or will we use the lenses of the Lord to view all of our problems? And so Philip gets tested. His faith is going to get refined we're going to get tested. Whatever we face in life, whatever the challenges are, whatever the impossibilities are, make sure that you put Christ in the equation because it changes everything. It really does. You know, Jesus asks where they would buy bread, but Philip doesn't even go there. He just says, how are we going to buy bread? You know, he looks at their account. They don't have enough in their balance and their funds. Uh, denarii was worth a day's wages back then. And so this is about what a man, what a working man would earn in eight months. I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 is not enough even to give them a little snack. Jesus, we don't, we don't have it. And so while they're talking, you know, it says in verse 8 that one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he said to him, well, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Now, again, I don't want to read too much into this, but I think that maybe, you guys ever think about this? Maybe Andrew had a little faith. Maybe he did. You know, from a human perspective, it's not enough. Uh, barley loaves. I mean, barley was for the poor people that couldn't even afford wheat. And all they had was five loaves, and the two fish they had, they weren't even the average-sized fish. They were like sardines. They were small fish. But something kind of triggered within Andrew to find the lad, to bring him to Jesus. Um, maybe there was a little something going on that he said, you know what, maybe, I don't know, Lord, what can you do with this? You know, from a human perspective, it's not enough. But when you put Christ in the equation, it changes everything. I, I, to be honest with you, just as a quick side note, I trip out on how God provides for our church. I don't know how. I don't know how he does it. When we first started off there at the park, and we got the building in, in Almani, they handed square feet, and then we came here, and then we got that, and then we got, and just different things. I, I just trip out. I cannot explain it. If I were to just look at the numbers, I probably would have never, ever, we would have never, ever taken any steps of faith because it, it doesn't make any sense. But there's something about this when you put Christ in the equation that he takes care of things. Andrew kind of knew that, you know? You know, maybe he knew. Second Kings chapter 4, if you go back, you might remember that Elisha fed 100 men with only 20 loaves of, of barley. Maybe he remembered that story. Maybe he remembered the story, who knows, of Judges chapter 7 when Gideon saw the dream and there was this barley loaf and uh, the barley loaf came and crushed 
the camp of the Midianites. There's something there stirring. I, I don't know for sure. I even think, you know, the way that I am, because I think there's nothing insignificant in the Bible, how five plus two equals seven. Seven is a number of completion, perfection. And I tell you what, if you give it to God, you just give to God all that you have. Once it's placed in his hands, it's more than enough. And we're going to see that. You know, Jesus, you know, receives the barley loaves and the fish. And then in verse 10, he, he makes the people sit down. He said, he said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. And so if you can kind of visualize the perfect picnic, if you can maybe even think of Psalm 23 verse 2 where it says he makes us to lie down in green pastures. This is what our shepherd is doing here. And so the men, they sat down in number about 5,000 and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish. Notice as much as they wanted. And we're talking all you can eat, right? And so when they were filled, and this Greek word means glutted, man, when they were satisfied, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets, no doubt, probably one for each disciple as a witness for them. Because if you're going to work, if you're going to serve the Lord, then you need to see these miracles the way that I provide. And so they each had a a basket with their fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And so, I don't know how, if you guys have ever been to a place where they give away free stuff, free food, it can get crazy, huh? It can get crazy, man. And so the Lord says, okay, we got to organize everything. We're going to have people sit down. Uh, Mark chapter 6 and verse 40 says they sat down in ranks and hundreds and, and fifties. John mentions the 5,000 men, but Matthew 14, 21, it mentions not just the men. It says, now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so we know a lot of times Maybe there's even more women than men sometimes in church, or there's more kids when you add them all up. And so who knows how many there were there, 5,000, 10,000, I don't know, 12, 15,000. We don't know for sure. But man, it's just amazing when you look at the numbers, full-on families traveling for the Passover, right? And so the Lord gives thanks. Uh, Mark 6, 41 says, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed, and he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples who set them before the people. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I, I don't want to read too much into things, but I will say this, this is a quick side note. Whenever the Lord is ministering and he wants to use somebody to meet the needs of the people, he will take you, he will bless you, and he will break you. And it's then when we're broken of our will that he can use our lives. And that's kind of what he does here, huh? It's kind of cool. I mean, I don't know for sure. I do know that when we're in heaven, we'll be able to eat. And who knows, maybe the Lord will make these, you know, fish tacos for us or fish tortas, whatever you want to call them. Remember the juice, their bread was a lot thinner. And so um, I, I just know it must have been delicious. It was all you can eat. Matthew six eleven says it was all that they wanted. And so after it's all said and done, if you can visualize it, 
what what comes to mind, which is a good thing, their conclusion is, it says in John 6, 14, it says right here, then these men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And it's true. And that's why we're reading this. And this is why Jesus did what he did. You know, he didn't have, he could have just come and, and died for our sins and gone. But no, he had to teach us things. He had to show us things, right? He had to prove really who he was. And so he is, you know, so compassionate, so loving, so powerful. He's healing people. And he takes and he feeds, you know, thousands of people with five barley loaves and two little sardines. And so when it's all said and done and they're all eating and it's just so good. And then they kind of like, it comes to mind, who, who is this man? He, he's got to be the prophet. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18 and 19, Moses had predicted that one day the prophet would come when God was talking to Moses. And it says there, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And so, you know, it's, it's cool that they are able to identify who this is, that he's the prophet. They were correct in concluding that, but they were incorrect in that they didn't shema. They didn't listen to the prophet. So it's one thing to say, oh, he's the prophet. It's one thing to say, well, this is God's word. It's another thing to listen to the prophet, to obey God's word. And so that's where, unfortunately, they, they went wrong. I mean, if you find out that this is the coming one, this is the Christ, this is the one that the whole Old Testament is talking about, what are you going to do with that individual? Well, you should listen to that individual. You should follow that individual. You should place your faith in that individual. But you know what they did? They wanted to force that individual to do what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted him to be king and to feed them for the rest of their life. I mean, it was all about their flesh and it was all about this world. And so the Lord's like, man, we're going to see he's going to deal with them. John tells us that at this point, the people want to take Jesus and they want to crown him as king. Look at verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself. You know, we all, a lot of times, you know, we want the Lord to do, well, God, you should be doing this. You know, and they wanted to force him. No, you guys, I want to encourage you. Don't force him to do anything. Just follow him. Just follow him. Be led by the Lord. You know, they wanted free food and they wanted to be free from the Roman government. You guys know how crowds can get crazy, right? And so the Lord knows this as well. It's not a good environment for his disciples to be in. They might agree with like some sort of anarchy. And so the other gospels tell us that Jesus gets them in their boat and sends them over to the other side and he doesn't go with them. It's interesting to me because I figured the Lord would go with them, right? Because this whole atmosphere of anarchy and them trying to force him to be king when it's not time to to be king because first there has to be a cross and then the crown. 
You know, you would figure, well, why, why didn't he go with them? And, and the reason is because he had to go up by the, to the mountain by himself to pray by himself. That's how crazy this was. You know, some say it was even maybe a temptation to Jesus. Say, you don't need no cross. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to experience that type of toil and pain. No, you're, you know, you're God's son. You should just, you know, forfeit that and skip that and go to the crown. And here it is. It's all being set up for you. And the Lord just said, no, I have to go and I have to pray. I have to be with my father. And so he spends that time with the father and we're going to see there's a lot of reasons why after the miracle on the land and the feeding of the flock comes the miracle on the lake and the the walking on on water. Because look what we read in verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum and it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. You know, the crowd was was carnal and the disciples were about to encounter the devil. What do you do in times like that? You know, you pray. I want to encourage you. Of course, we know this is all about Jesus and I don't want to take away from that in, in any way, but I want to encourage you, make sure you pray. And there are times when it, it can be nobody else around you. It has to be you and God and you on your face and you talking to the Father and asking Him for strength and asking Him for His will and asking Him you know, to help those people over there who need help. You know, we have to learn from our Lord. Matthew 14, 23, it says, And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone. And sure enough, In verse 18, here we read in John chapter 6, Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And so the Lord, you know, he sends them into a storm. It's crazy, huh? You think about it. The wind is blowing against them. Um, Matthew 6, 48 says, Then he saw them straining and rowing. The wind was against them. Now, we talked about how it's uh, 13 miles long, 6 miles wide. They're about halfway through, and they have been rowing all night long. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. I've even gone to the gym, and they have the rowing thing, and I don't know. It's kind of fun. But when you're out there, and you're doing it all night long, they are straining. They are fighting the devil. They are struggling. And you know, it's kind of a bummer because again, the, the first part of our study today, we're talking about you know, the bread and the, the, the appetites we have. The, the way that we try to satisfy our, our life with all the things that the world has to offer. You know, it could be good food. It, it might be the Raiders and then they end up losing the playoffs. It might be the Lakers and they lost yesterday by 40 points and you're going up and down. You know, it might be whatever it is, the latest gadget or... I don't know, my house is nice, my car is nice, my clothes. I mean, but eventually, you, you realize that doesn't, only Jesus satisfies. And then we all go through storms. We all do. You know, I got a text message just last week from somebody who said they didn't want to live anymore. They, don't, they, don't, they didn't want to. 
And so, you know, there I am just trying to minister to this individual. Tell him, don't give up. Don't lose heart. And then you get another message from someone who actually did take their life, from their loved ones. My wife got a text today. And, you know, when you're in the storm and you feel like, I doesn't make any sense. I'm just doing what he told me to do. Why am I struggling? Why am I straining? Why do I feel this pain? Lord, you, you know, some people say, well, you did this to me. All I know is that when you're there, Mark 6, 48 says, Jesus sees you there. He sees you there. It might feel like he's given you more than you can handle, but he promises us he would never do that. So don't quit. And don't question his love. Because as he saw them there straining, what do you think he's doing? He's up on the mountain praying for them. You know, some say it's, you know, the Passover was close and so the moon would be bright. And so that's why he'd be able to see them. He doesn't need the moon to be bright. He sees you. He sees every, every hair, every tear, every struggle, everything. Every lie that the enemy throws your way, he knows all about that. And so in, in his perfect timing, you might think, well, I've been going through this for a long time. All I can tell you is, man, he came to them. It was the fourth watch of the night, so that would be somewhere between 2 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Those are some tough hours, right? But eventually he ends up coming to them. And that's what we read in the scripture. He not only sees them, he comes to them. We read in verse 19, so when they had a road about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So you're in the middle of this storm, and I believe, you know, because when you read the terminology, it definitely, you know, sounds like this was a demonic storm. This was definitely the devil and his demons responsible for the winds and the waves. And so, you know, you're there, and think about it, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden you see Jesus walking on the water. Uh, and what he's doing is he's making a statement for us to never forget that all that demon stuff and all the winds and waves and wickedness, that all of that is underneath his feet. That he tramples down over our enemies. We have to know that. You know, for us, as we're going through difficulties, we have to know who Jesus is. Not only that, the really cool thing about this story is that this is the time that Jesus gives Peter the grace and power to walk on the sea as well. And you guys might remember the story there as Jesus is walking on the water. Um, you know, they were afraid. They thought it was a ghost. He said, don't be afraid. It's I. And so Peter's all, okay, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you. And so Peter's, and the Lord's all, okay, come. And then what ends up happening? Peter starts walking on the water. What, what's God saying? God's saying no matter what the storm is, no matter who the devil, demons, or Satan are, what wickedness ways, it doesn't matter. I give you the power over all that opposition. This is us. 
And this is why they were allowed to go through this so that others like us can see we can have victory even in those difficult times. And what the devil intends for evil, God will use for good. You read Genesis 50, verse 20. You read Romans 8, 28. The worst thing that ever happened on planet Earth was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it was by that cross that we were all redeemed. So our struggles, understand, God will take those tragedies and turn them into triumphs. You know, Peter was walking on the water. How many of you here believe that when we're in heaven one day, there will be a a video opportunities to be able to watch the scenes? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? I want to watch this one, Lord. I don't know if there's a, you know, some type of a channel where you can go to. And I want to see Peter walking on water. Who knows? I don't know how, how it all works to be able to see it. But I do know this, that Peter was able to walk on water as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, right? And so once he saw the the winds and the waves, the word they use is boisterous, it was rowdy, then he began to sink. And so he's all, help, Lord. And so the Lord ends up, you know, grabbing him, picking him up, and he says, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Are there any doubters here today? Are there any doubters? Listen, we can quench the Spirit through doubt. And the Holy Spirit, that wants to empower your life is quenched because you doubt. We can grieve the Spirit through disobedience. This is why we have to have faith. We have to live that life. Now, what we find is that, you know, when he took his eyes off the Lord and he doubted, then he sunk. And so God help us to learn that, you know, the lesson as he's feeding the 5,000, as as he's walking on water, and as soon as they get into the boat, boom, they end up there on the shore where they belong. And so we're going to end up in that destination. Again, who can this be that, you know, the, able to feed the thousands with just five barley loaves and two little fish? Who can this be that not only walks on water, but enables me to walk on water? And it's coming back to this, you guys, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I want to encourage you, myself as well, you know, don't try to force your agenda. Don't try to force anything. Follow him and have faith in him. This is, what, this is why John is, is writing this letter. This is why we're studying it as a church. Because God wants you to follow him. Well, what about that person? What about this situation? What about them? And we start getting all judgmental of everybody else. And Lord said, hey, get your eyes back where they belong. I told you to follow me. As far as what's going on in their life, that's between them and the Lord. See, we learn from them feeding the flock, the miracle on the land. We learn from them walking on water, the miracle on the lake. But then we close with Jesus preaching to the people, and it's the miracle of life. Because ultimately, this is where the Lord wants to go. He wants us to have life. He wants us to have that more abundantly. The Bible says the just shall live. By faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ. Verse 22 says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. 
When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? You know, the next day the people were expecting Jesus to show up on their side of the shore and they probably wanted to eat breakfast again and have him feed them. But Jesus had left. He was nowhere to be found. So they get into their boats. They cross over to Capernaum. Again, I'm just trying to, not trying to get you guys mad or anything, but just trying to tell you, when we go to Israel, you're going to be able to go to Capernaum as well. And you see it right there by the lake. And it's just so beautiful. And so um, when they do go to Capernaum, uh, they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Or kind of probably asking, how did you come here? You know, because we, we saw them get in the boat. We see you get in the boat. And, and Jesus just answers them in verse 28, most assuredly I say to you, you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So we're going to see now the Lord is going to go fishing. You know, I know most of you guys here are Christians, um, but if there's anyone here who's not, or maybe someone watching online, this is like Jesus preaching to the people. This is Jesus now reaching the people. And we like to eat. How many of you here are foodies? You would consider yourself a foodie, right? And uh, I'll be honest with you, man, food is powerful. You know, Philippians talks about how many people, um, they worship the God of their belly. And that might be me, um, you know, wanting to eat stuff or even me not wanting to eat stuff. You know, but the Lord says, hey, don't labor for that kind of food. You know, that's what he mentions right here. You, you should labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. Anyone here a hard worker? Just curious. You know, it's cool to be a hard worker. I, I think we should. Um, you guys go to work and your boss should say, man, that person, that Christian, they're, they're, they're great. You know, they, they, they toil and they're obedient, they're submissive, they're great hard workers. And so and it's okay to do that, but the priority would be the labor that is in the kingdom of God, the spiritual labor. The Lord says, hey, that's the one that we need to labor for, Right? Now don't just long and labor for the kind of food that gets eliminated. Look for the food and labor for the food that endures to everlasting life. And it does take effort. It does take spiritual sweat, like we were talking about earlier, discipline, right? To be fed spiritually. You got to labor in the word of God. It's not just going to be on the surface for you to find. You got to labor in prayer, man. You have to labor in the kingdom of God, right? And Jesus says, that's the food I can give you. Uh, you guys have to know this. And he's trying to reach out to them to get their eyes off the bread and to get their eyes on him. And so they say in verse 28, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Speaking of labor, and Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Here it is that you believe in him whom he sent. And you might want to circle the word believe because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. If you're here and it's not clear to you, well, how do I get saved? How do I get forgiven? How do I know for sure? How can I know for sure that, you know, when I die, I'll go to heaven? 
here it is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel. And Jesus right here is preaching. Jesus right here is reaching for them. You know, the mentality the Jews have is the mentality that really most people have. They're like, well, I got to earn it. I got to be good enough. I got to behave. And yeah, I do encourage you to behave and be obedient, but that'll never save you. You're saved when you place your faith in, in Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, here, yeah, well, I do, but I just don't have that assurance, or I do, and I go to church, and I'm just not feeling it. I don't want to read the Bible or pray or fellowship or do anything that's really good. Well, maybe it's because you're believing just in your head and not in your heart. You have to, we have to come to that place where we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, he died for my sins. He rose again. And, but when you crown him Lord, that means he calls the shots. Not, not you, not me. It's important for us to know that. And so in verse 30, as Jesus is sharing these things to believe, they, they said to him, well, you want us to believe in you? Okay, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat now i want to say this real quick before i forget i remember reading this as i was studying some people they got it backwards they want to see and then believe but what the way it works in the kingdom of god is believe and then you'll see i mean to be honest we've already seen enough we've already seen enough especially when you look at this in context and you harmonize the gospels the very reason they followed him across the lake is because they saw the way that he healed the diseased and then when they do get across the lake you know there's jesus and his compassion teaching them the greatest words ever taught and then he's healing them and so they're experiencing that right there and then when they're all hungry 15 12,000 15,000 people get fed with only five barley loaves and two fish i mean what more do you want but our flesh is never satisfied god has already shown enough to us and if he if he never showed us anything else we already have enough evidence to believe on him to give him our hearts but here they are again, just like, you know, the Jews, unfortunately, asking for a sign. Well, Moses gave them, you know, the manna from the, the heaven. And, you know, um, he even quoted the scripture. It's written there. He gave them bread from heaven, probably Nehemiah 9.15 or Psalm 78, 24 through 25. It's found numerous times in the Old Testament. The whole story of Exodus chapter 16, most of you probably already know it, but just in case you didn't know it, there was a time when the Jews were in the wilderness for 40 years, and six days out of the seven days, God would give them bread from heaven. It would fall to the ground. They would have to go out. They would have to gather it each day. It, it was like angel food. It tastes a little bit like pancakes. I mean, they every day, and then the sixth day, they can grab twice as much, and that would help them uh, through the Sabbath day. And so for 40 years, God gave them that. It is an amazing miracle. And so they're saying, well, that's what Moses did. You want us to believe in you, so do something greater than that. And so the Lord said to them in verse 32, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. What Moses gave was just a, a, a representation. It was a shadow of the substance. When, when Moses gave that bread, it was symbolic. It was supposed to point to none other than Jesus himself. And that's what he says right here. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. Now what Moses gave was not the bread of God that would give them life. They all died in the wilderness. The bread that Jesus is talking about, it doesn't just satisfy your taste buds or your tummy or your stomach. The bread I'm speaking of satisfies the soul, sent from the Father himself, and it gives life to the world. And I was thinking about COVID, and I mean, it's probably not just COVID, but who knows, maybe other sicknesses where people lose their, their taste and their smell, and it's horrible, man. It's horrible, you know? I, I still don't have my, my smell back, and um, I miss it so much, to be honest, you know? Um, and it's affecting my taste a little bit, and I've been talking to different people, and some of them, they don't have their, their taste back uh, either. And, and so, you know, I was just thinking about this whole thing about how much we just love food, and I was talking to the Lord about this, and the Lord is just saying, you know, you... Manny, you you got to be careful too because a lot of times it, it is you, not just, uh, you know, eating to live, but living to eat. And, and if you would get so excited about maybe me and maybe laboring or consuming, you know, spiritual things, just like you do your body, maybe you'd be stronger. I was even thinking about this, and you guys know me, I'm a little weird, but maybe it can resonate with some of you here. Like every single day, it's almost like you win or lose. Every single day. I think God has divided up our life into, into days for a reason. And if you could, I would encourage you, challenge you, at the end of each day, you get with the Lord and you ask Him, did I win or did I lose today? Was it the victory for the flesh or was it a victory for the spirit. These guys, all about the flesh, all about the food, all about that bread, all about those fish, you know, thorthas, all about the freedom that they wanted to be set free from Rome. They were so consumed with that that it blinded them to the kingdom of God. And so here we see the Lord trying to reach them, trying to hey, say, you guys need to get saved. You guys need to develop a spiritual appetite. And, and, and so the Lord says in verse 35, I am the, the bread of life. He comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And it's at this point in the Gospel of John where he has his first of the seven I am statements. There's actually eight. But as we go through... Uh, the, the next uh, few chapters, all the way to chapter 15, we're going to see it, you know, uh, so cool the way the Lord identifies himself. I am the, the bread of life. I am, you know, the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the, the resurrection and the life. I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the, the vine. And so he points people to himself. And basically, I think when you look at it, is basically I am, Jesus says, whatever you need. I am your comforter. I'm your best friend. I'm your provider. I'm your protector. 
Now I was thinking about my mom and, and you know, the, the hospital and so many people right now. You know, I, I think if I hear correctly, thinking of Anna's sister and others, they're in there alone, alone, many times. But they're not alone because God says, I am with you. And so uh, if you guys ever get a chance, there's a really cool song by Nicole Nordeman. I think it's from back in 2002. She has a CD. It's called Woven and Spun, and it's a great song. It's called I Am. And it's kind of cool the way that she does it through the seasons of life when she was a little girl and she you know, fell off her bicycle. She needed an elbow healer. Or when she was 16 and her boyfriend broke up with her and you know, Jesus said, I am your best friend. Later on, when she became a mom with all these kids and it got difficult, and Jesus showed up just to meet her all along the way until one day when she died. All along the way, Jesus was everything she needed. That's what this whole I am statement is all about. You guys want bread? You guys want bread? You guys want that? I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, you'll never hunger. If you come to me, you'll never thirst. There's a perpetual source of satisfaction. There is this life. Now, when I got saved, I never had to go look anywhere else. No, now I got to get saved. No, I already know I'm saved. I never hunger for that again. And I know it's not going to be found. And now for a guy, and I'm speaking as guys, Lakers, Raiders, Man, they should have won yesterday, you know. And you just start thinking about it, you know, all the stuff, all the possessions, all the money. One thing about money, let me just tell you guys this, and material possessions, it'll never, you'll never, you'll never, it'll never be, you'll always want more. You're always going to want more unless you learn contentment. And, and one thing I learned about Christians, if Jesus is your Lord, you'll always have enough. You will always have enough. We have to understand that. He's the bread of life. But unfortunately, they couldn't get past that hump. It says in verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. You know, what the Lord basically says right here is they they saw everything, but unfortunately, they still didn't give him their life. They didn't really give him their heart. And so the Lord is starting to, like, I don't know if he's explaining it to us who would later read it, or maybe he's just, you know, making a statement that he's not discouraged. But the way that it works is that I believe this, that the Father looks down the corridors of time and he sees that person right there, that person right there, that person right there. They're open and they're receptive to the Lord. They're open to God. It says that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So he sees that and then he takes that person right there and he gives them to Jesus. And he takes that person right there who's open to Jesus and he gives them to Jesus. We are gifts of Jesus. That's what he's saying right there. And once he gives us to Jesus, then it's Jesus is saying, and anyone who comes to me, the Father sends in my direction. I will never, ever turn them away. Because some of them might say, well, I'm all messed up and I've got this hang up or whatever and I've done this and the Lord just says, listen, if you come to me, if you just come to me, I will never turn you away. 
That's what he's saying right there. He says in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is not acting independently. One of the things that we see is that all are involved in salvation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was there when, you know, we read this, doing his Father's will. The Holy Spirit is here now, doing the Father's will. What for? Why is all this happening? Why are you guys getting together as a church? Why do you got pastors? Why do you got overseers? Why do you got ministries? Why do you do all these things? What are all these announcements? What is it all about? So that people can be saved. In the end of the day, this is what he says in verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. I will raise him up at the last day. Our last day on earth is our first day in heaven, in glory. Our last breath on earth leads to our first breath in heaven. And this is the will of the Father. Understand, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he will, he will raise us up with these new bodies, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. And so, just in case you're here and you're like, well, it's all about you know the Father, whatever the will of the Father is. And it is, you know, I don't want to take away from that in any way. But before we leave, look at John chapter 5. Look down at verse 40, if you would. When Jesus is talking to these people, here's what he says to them, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Well, the Father's Father's will. Yeah, Yeah, it is. But it's you too, my friend. You too. You know, people come to church service and some of you guys here, you're sold out and surrendered. You're completely committed. You are. And I thank God for the grace that he's worked in your life. But there may be some of you here and you're just, you got your lukewarm. You got one foot in and one foot out. You don't see God the way that you should. You're not willing. And so my prayer is that First of all, you got to get saved. First of all, you got to give your life to Christ. You have to start there. But then as a Christian, you have to be willing to seek him with all your heart. God will bless you. He really will. God will use you in a way that will blow your mind. Do you believe in him? Do you really believe in Jesus? I pray that we would go out. Now we're ready to go, right? The highways, the byways, the valleys, the alleys. We got this week. Is it just Sundays that you give to God? Or do you give Him every day? I pray that you would. Do what I've been doing. And again, I don't want to sound legalistic or anything because I know um, we are loved by God. No matter what, He loves you and you find favor by faith. But man, live it one day at a time. Try that. Try that if you would. At the end of the day, just kind of say, okay, who won today? The the flesh or the spirit? And if you start taking day... uh, taking your, you know, care of those days one day at a time. Then before you know it, the, your life starts changing in the weeks and the months and the years. And this is so cool what God does.